Brian, and then now we'll hear from the Word. God, I just thank you again just for uh, your Word, Lord, and how you can speak to us. Uh, God, even now, through this living Word. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, come alive tonight to us, Lord, and then, um, God, you would speak through Brian, Lord, just giving your words. Um, God, that you would just uh, speak with power uh, through Brian, Lord, that you would just, uh, God, bring conviction on our hearts, God, uh, bring brokenness where we need brokenness, God, and bring healing where we need healing. And God, let us just go away with hearts full, um, God, honoring your word, uh, Lord, above all other things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So earlier today, just to let you know, earlier today, um, God was telling me that I was going to be giving this sermon, uh, you and yourself. Here we go. Um, if you turn to John 21. The last time we were in John 21, we saw that Jesus was going and bringing Peter and the other disciples that went out fishing into a sense of kinship and queenship and communion and rest. But my question tonight is, is being a king and queen nearly enough? Knowing that your inheritance is more than you could ever imagine. Is that enough? Is it enough to simply understand that what you have in store for you by the gospel of Christ enough to understand that that inheritance as king and queens is enough, or is there something else that Jesus is actually purposeful about doing? So in John 21, starting in verse 15, I believe that the answer is, there is more. There is more. In verse 15, he says, when they had finished breakfast. So we see this statement referring to what just happened, where Peter, who is the main character in this chapter, is going and he's gotten all the fish. He, it looks as though he's the one that pulled them off the boat even by himself. All the while, Jesus already had breakfast made up for them. So he's doing all this work He's gotten all these other disciples to go out fishing with him in the first place. So then we see, after breakfast is done, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, God is a God who brings things into memories. Things have happened in your past. Things have happened that are sticking in your mind many a times. They are sometimes engraved in your mind, where they will come up day after day after day. They're so engraved that they will sometimes even control how you interact with different people. So when Jesus goes and he starts out saying, Simon, son of John, if you turn to Matthew 16, We'll see. Matthew 
what he is bringing to members. In verse 17 in Matthew 16, it says, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which means son of John. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What he is talking about is how Simon was calling Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. So Matthew 16, 17, going on, it says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It sounds like a lot of authority. Not to mention, there's a play on words there, and also in John 21, there's a similar play on words. Does anybody know what the name Peter means? Rock. Does anybody know what the name Simon means? Pebble. Simon means pebble. Peter means rock, or Petros, right? So it's very, very interesting where Jesus said to pebble rock. If you're thinking through, he's calling him by these character traits that at some points, this guy is crazy, crazy weak. But then at other points, he is crazy, crazy strong. And he's going to, the very first thing that he mentions to him, by remembrance, is I'm going to remind you of that time where you called me to Christ, and I'm going to tell, remind you that I told you. I'm going to give you the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Your kings, your queens, all these things that were just above, right? So Simon, son of John, do you love me? Very odd question. But it doesn't just stop at do you love me. Do you love me more than these? Again, bringing things to remembrance. Jesus is very purposeful about his words in dealing with his people. He's very purposeful about dealing with you. Like I said, these things come up in your past. Come up from your past. These things where, did I do that right? Did I interact with that person in a right manner? Man, I remember before I was even a Christian doing these different things that I can't even believe that I would do such a thing. And yet, the question is still standing. Do you love me more than these? So where is this from? This, again, Matthew. You would turn to chapter... 26 in Matthew. I'm going to start in verse 30, just to get the context of this. In verse 30 he says, And when they had sung a hymn, so they're all together in this room, they're all worshiping. This is right after taking communion together, mind you. This time when you're experiencing this very close fellowship with one another and with Jesus. And then they're all singing a hymn, and it goes on, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you 
to Galilee. Verse 33. Peter answers, Though they all fall away, because of you, I will never fall away. And then what happens right after that? Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Like I said, Jesus is very purposeful to continually bring things up purposefully. Is it enough to merely be called a king and a queen? See what I did there? Merely be called a king and a queen. No. Jesus' purpose for you in your life, here and now, is greater than ever being called just simply a king or queen. It's a king or queen that is being healed from the past hurts that you have had happen to you and that you have committed to yourself or others. The past pain, the past sins, you understand that when you lie to somebody in the past, you've possibly, very well, depending on what type of lie, destroyed their life. Do you understand that Bernie Madoff, by lying to a couple different people about their finances, literally ended lives? Literally. Simply because of a printed piece of paper that has some value for it. There is no white lie. And yet, the question is if you were to not receive this other aspect of what Jesus is doing in John 21, how would you rule as a king or a queen? How would you rule as a king or a queen that has not been healed or is not going through some form of healing from Jesus? Him being purposeful, encountering your past hurt. You would be a king or a queen that is controlled in ruling by your past hurt. So you will construct kingdoms that will not hurt you. You will construct kingdoms that will protect you from other people or from sin of your own that you do, when in reality Jesus says, no, we must counter this and actually find healing, find peace. And how does he do it? He asks the question, do you love me? Now, we've been on this series about the Holy Spirit in after the ascension, what's come up? So, last week, we looked at peace. If you didn't notice. In Isaiah 32, I believe it was verse 15, it says, Until the Spirit of the Lord is poured out upon these people, they won't experience peace. So this week, we look at love. You want to know how to find healing? We look at love. But the interesting part is, is how we perceive love. What is love then? So, back into John 21, he, Jesus, brings to Peter.
Peter's mind this very instance where he says, I'm not going to deny you even if all of these do deny you. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, let me bring that back into your mind now. Now that I've died, I've risen from the dead, I've, you know, I've encountered you a couple times after I've risen from the dead, but I still see that you are hurt. How does Jesus know by Peter's actions that he is still hurt? can't really tell him that that's Henry. Except for this. What is he relying on? Do you see Peter in that text say, the Spirit told me to go out fishing. Guys, let's go out fishing. The Spirit told me to go and do this. What is he relying on in order to lead these people? All of these will fall away. But I'll never, I'll never leave you, Jesus. Oh, how, how wrong it was. How wrong we are so oftentimes when we become super prideful. Thinking less of others and greater of ourselves. How wrong we are. Look, get this. We will cling to our pride in the sinful intentions of our heart to the ignorance and ignoring the deaf ears of what happens in the synoptic gospel in Luke, in that same passage of Matthew 26. In Luke, guess what he says? Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I will pray for you and will ignore him. That doesn't make him not grateful. You want to hear something that's crazy? Right after he says, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I will pray for you. And when you are strengthened again, go back to your brothers to encourage him. Well, obviously, I believe that Peter had forgotten this part. He, yes, he went back to his brothers to encourage them by going back to simply fishing and not catching a thing. And then Jesus comes up and he's already got fish and breakfast made up that they didn't provide. Oh, guess what that's saying? Well, you're relying on, you guys are relying on yourself again. Peter, you're relying on yourself. And then you're going to work so hard that you're going to bring in fish that is going to weigh down the boat. You're going to kill yourself, Peter. You want to continually work that hard? No, you need rest, man. Stop relying on yourself. You did this before. You said all these people will fall away. Look, Jesus, it's the people you gave me. That's, they're just they're terrible people. Who is he relying on? Who are you relying on? Do you look around and say, man, where is it? Where's the church? You see, in the abortion ministry, going to the different clinics, we hear this. Where's the church? We probably passed upwards of four digits. Thousands of Christians on the way down to Planned Parenthood in Portland to go plead that mothers would love their children, that they would nurture their children, that fathers would lead their households and love their wives, and love their children. 
how quick can it be for us to complain against those whom God loves and rely where does that show our reliance by the way on our flesh on ourselves Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He hasn't gotten to what he's doing yet. He hasn't picked up on the prodding. He hasn't understood what Jesus is doing in this instance, calling to mind all these different things. We live very ignorant of our own doings often, not looking to see what God is doing in a moment. There's one thing, uh, not one thing, there's many things I've taken from Andrew and parenting, but there's something I remember him telling Dorian one time. Well, what is God having learned in this moment? This isn't outside the sovereignty of God. Well, so quickly we encounter situations we completely forget that God is sovereign. Therefore, being ignorant to what he is doing. Because then we'll quickly, because we're not recognizing the sovereignty of God and his movement in our life to bring healing and rulership, kingship, queenship, in the midst of healing. So that way you're not a tyrant, by the way. Think that through. If you're not healed from the past, you're going to be a tyrant of a leader. You will lead those underneath you in tyranny, based around your past hurts. We see this with many movements. There's a group that is in this battle against abortion that many are angry at the church. And you want to know what they do? They post day in and day out about how angry they are at the church. Well, they have not experienced healing. Therefore, they're tyrannical kings and queens. Encounter every situation asking yourself, what is the sovereignty of God in this situation? Why am I even encountering this? What is he doing so that way I may be healed? Because he's not doing it to destroy you. He's doing it to heal you. Remember, the discipline of the Lord is actually his kindness. It's his love. It's his compassion on you. Why? It's because to be controlled and beat down and put underneath the thumb of your past is to still live in a form of slavery. Lastly, when I was bringing up you're being lied to, is to still stay underneath that lie. Not be free from it. So, he goes on, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Which is a very interesting thing. He says, yes, Lord. He starts getting all religious. He says, that Lord tells is what we do. We start throwing out Christian lingo. Can it? Seriously. One of the greatest things that I think um, is grievous is to encounter your life and experiences into neglect. What I mean by that is, if you have hurt, 
Don't deny it. But find healing through Christ in it. If you're to come up to a situation where you're actually experiencing fear, well, don't just say, well, you know, I'm not fearing. No, don't deny it. That's stupid. That is to deny what's going on in that moment. What you would rather be better to do is to understand I am fearing in this moment. What is this fearing revealing about the inner depths of me so that way I can get near to God rather than just ignore what's happening? To deny your fear, to just put some uh, one coat of polyurethane Christian lingo over it, is to completely forget that in the midst of that fear that you're denying, Jesus actually has a plan to bring you out of it. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Come on. The next line is, you know everything. We'll talk about that in a moment. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says to him, feed my lambs. How is it, this is the interesting part, what is love? How is one even understanding what love is then? Do you love me? Yes. Okay, well, feed my lambs. So Jesus is saying here, if you love me, then you will live selflessly like me. Remember, in the same book, John 21, now we have John 10, who is Jesus referring to himself as? The great shepherd. The sheep that hear my voice, they know me, they hear me. I'm not like a hired hand but I am like their shepherd whom they hear. Tabby and I were watching a couple of videos on YouTube. There's this one guy, he was pretty, uh, it was kind of comical. He was showing how to be more like a hired hand. What a hired hand does is they lead the sheep from behind. So you have all these sheep out in front, and what they're doing is acting like a dog, a border collie because they're trying to work in their own power. So they're going around from behind in corners trying to lead the sheep into this area. But then the shepherd comes. There's another video that we watch. And he speaks to these sheep, and then they all start looking up. It was amazing. They're looking up, and then they all start running over to him, waiting to hear where they're going to go. And then... He walks in front and they follow behind. He's taking the lead. He's not making the lamb go first. He's taking the lead and he is showing his love for them. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. Let me ask you this. Those whom you love around you, those in the city whom you said, I love these people, they actually know your voice. Better yet, through you, do they know the voice of our Savior? My sheep hear my voice and they know me. Are you pointing them to the one who's going to lead from the front? Or are you going to rely on the arm of the flesh and lead from behind? 
pushing them like a dog. Get this through your mind, please. If you do that, if you leave from behind, if you're just trying to construct things to move them into a pin, you're a dog. You're a border collie. That's what a hired hand is. Because guess what a border collie is going to do? The moment that a wolf comes, tells you doubt. The sheep are dead. Those whom you say you have loved, in that moment, your love is tested and not actually there if you ran. Rather, feed our land. You're going to lead them. You're going to actually give to them. What would it look, this is a really odd analogy, but like, let's take communion for a moment. Or even just sitting down for a meal. What would it look like if you're just like, you know, I, I got my daughter Kate, and she feeds herself now, but like, we used to feed her. And then she went through this really awkward stage where it was transitioning to like her feeding herself, but she didn't like doing that. Like, what would it be like for you to have this mentality in your own mind and heart of feed my lambs? Like, you're having to take care of them before you take care of yourself. You're having to live crazy selflessly, waiting for them to just hit the spoon. They'll yell at you. Throw the food bowl somewhere else. But then you're going to pick it back up and you're going to feed them again. Feed my lambs. Live selflessly, sacrificially. This is what love looks like. Do you love me? Yes. Well, feed my lambs. If you want to actually understand what it means to love, well, serve. You won't know and experience what love is in selfishness, in self-pursuit. You won't understand what love is if you simply continue to neglect those around you and not serve and feed them, not to leave from the front and to put yourself in harm's way on their behalf like Jesus did. Keep in mind, this is all being written down by the hand of the Apostle John, the beloved Apostle, the one whom Jesus loves. How does he know all that? And he continually brings it up about himself. Well, he knows all that because Jesus gave himself for him. There's this crazy realization probably by John where he's like, my Savior served me like this. So do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know I do. Well, go feed my lambs. Well, what's the next part then? He said to him a second time. He's going to repeat it. This is why Jesus, in the very first one, brought up more than these. Because, guess what happens right after, as we read? He says, well, you're going to deny me three times. So now we have the second time being asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, perpetuating that ignorance. 
yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This is another interesting part to how we deal in our lives. Whether it be healing from our past hurt, we act as though Jesus was not there or did not see it. We act as though in our afflictions he wasn't afflicted. No, the verse says, in our afflictions he was afflicted. And yet we're going to act as though the Savior, this Jesus who gave himself up, who died on the cross for us, who says that on that cross, He bore our sin. He bore our shame. He bore our fear and pain. And yet we'll look at him and say, in our affliction, it's it's on us. It's on us. We're going to rely on me. I'm going to rely on Brian for this healing. I have to do it by my own arm. I'm going to be able to experience true freedom by my own hand. I'm that prideful to continue in. He knows. Even by the very mouth of Peter, he's saying, yes, Lord, you know. He doesn't just respond with you know three times. In the very next one, he actually responds twice in that one. Therefore, a sum total of four times. He says, you know all things if it wasn't clear enough. We act as though he's blind. We act as though even if he did see, he's not going to do anything about it. Or if he did see that it's on us. Look, let me ask you a question. How many times I've heard it and I'm questioning it more and more now? Well, you've got to want to be free. Guess what? My Jesus is stronger than your will. He'll overcome it. By what? Revealing his passionate, pursuing love more and more. But if you want to stay ignorant to it, you want to hide your mind and your eyes from seeing that kind of love, you can try to look away as long as you want. But it won't be forever. My God will free those whom he has chosen. So he looks at all of his elect, all of his beloved, and he says, look, you love me? And then we reply, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Like I said, acting as though he doesn't really see or isn't going to do anything. Then he goes on and he says it again. A little bit different. Jesus replies, tend my sheep. Ten. Rather than feed, he says ten. Which is actually the word shepherd. So shepherd my sheep. 
same words in First Peter five two, where he says, um, where Peter calls himself a shepherd. Shepherd my sheep, lead them, care for them. So this is now the second time that Peter is being told that the response to love is service, selflessness, sacrifice. But it's not for his own people. It's for somebody else's people. Who's? It says, shepherd my sheep. One of the things that uh, I think that often we forget is that we're ambassadors, not owners. Yes, I'm an elder here. I don't own you. I'm a shepherd under the great shepherd. The great shepherd is Jesus. He is the one whom your soul is entrusted to and whom I must rely on to entrust your soul to. It is not up to me. But I must be faithful. You see? That's the thing. We wrestle very hard with being faithful. We live in a day and age where faithfulness is lacking. We live in a day and age, yes, both in marriage, faithfulness is lacking. But even in friendships, faithfulness is lacking. What do I mean? I don't have to be faithful to anybody in friendship. Guess what? If you're going to go and you're going to image Christ as Jesus is my friend, that's what a friend does. You live selflessly and sacrificially. And what does that portray to them? Love. You're telling them by your actions that I love you. I'm not going to take from you, but I'm going to give to you. I'm not a thief to your soul and your spirit, but I am a giver who is going to build life in you, Lord, me. Go and tend my sheep. Tend. So you have feed, then you have ten. You'd think that at this point, so Peter must have received some form of like, okay, I get it now. No, no. goes on. Verse 17, he said to him, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter denied Jesus three times. Do you think that, well, you know, he might heal these parts of my life, but these ones, I don't think anybody will be able to heal that pain. I don't think anybody will ever be able to heal that hurt. That's deep, and it hurts. You were mistreated when you were younger. You stole from somebody and you actually truly feel guilty. And it's not leaving you. All those things, I, I don't know how Jesus is going to take care of those areas. Well, he purposely did three because he's saying, I will take care of all of you. You denied me three times, I'm going to have you say you love me three times. Even if it's not complete. 
completely honest. Because if you look at the Greek words, I wasn't going to go into it, but Jesus, the first two times, was using the Greek word agape, which is deep, deep love. And then Peter was responding with phileo, which is more of a brotherly affection. So even if it's not up to the level as what Jesus was saying, well, I'm going to have you declare your love to me. And then I'm going to tell you what to go do with it. Don't come and serve me. Look, it'd be cool if people loved me. However, I do not want you to serve me. If you love me, I'd rather you serve other people. I was saying this in Padme. They, ben, by the way, take this as a cue. If anybody wants to serve me as an elder, I'll serve my wife. That's exactly what Jesus would say. You want to serve Jesus? Well, serve his bride. He didn't say serve me. To serve my bride. Why? Is because if you look at 1 Corinthians 11, who is the glory of man? The wife. Who is the glory of Christ, his church? So, do you want to know the beauty and glory that is there? Well, go and serve the church. Go and serve another, so that way you'll actually see the glory of Christ be pronounced to you. So he goes on, he says it for the third time, taking care of the whole of Peter, saying, look, I'm not going to leave one inch of you unhealed. I am here to bring healing into your life. It is not enough that you're a good leader or king or queen. It's not enough that you can go and lead a people. No, you actually truly need that deep healing in you. Otherwise, Isaiah 53, throw it out. Because he says that we are healed by his wounds. We are healed by his wounds. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. But before he even responded with that, what was Peter's inner emotion? It says Peter was grieved. Why do you think Peter was grieved? And I think that there's a bunch of different areas why Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because I think he caught on. Peter was grieved because he caught on. And you see this. Because this is now the third time. He's, now he's getting to this point. He's like, look, you know everything. Even when I denied you. essentially him saying, God, forgive me. Let me ask you again. Who, who approached you in this situation? Jesus is the one who initiated and pursued after Peter. What does that mean about the forgiveness of Christ? Did Peter somehow earn that forgiveness? Grace. That's mercy. Jesus is all merciful and all gracious. The most 
And he is the one who is actually pursuing after you. I got into a conversation today regarding would God be satisfied without you in heaven? Without you in his presence for eternity in the resurrection age? My answer to that is no. Some may be angry with me, call me heretic, I don't care. The answer is no, you wouldn't. How I can say that is because if you look at if you look at the typology of Benjamin with Jacob and Joseph and Judah, as well as just in general, Jesus is saying, He shall see the long of days, he's going to see his offspring and be satisfied. So when he sees those whom he brings in in redemption, he is then satisfied with them. His beloved. Do you let those words ring true in your life of being the actual beloved of the King of Heaven and Earth? And if he is your beloved, and you are his beloved, then what does that mean for your emotional and spiritual state? What does that mean for the pain and the hurt that you've experienced? Men, look, you as husbands, as leaders, are to be healing agents in your spouse's life, in your wife's life. You're to be agents of healing. They have experienced hurt. Likewise, you women are as, as well. But men are to be the leaders in it. Why? It's because this is exactly what Jesus does. He's the one that is pursuing and initiating to the degree that you would be healed. Not just so that way you would know truths of your inheritance. You could own all the world. And yet if you still have all that pain, all that hurt, and you felt like it was completely untaken care of. How awkward is it? This, this, we've had these things in self. How rough and awkward is it to walk into a room and have a person in that room whom you have some angst with? You got beat. Well, guess what Peter probably felt like in this moment? Uh, man. Denied him three times. Here he is. I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to pull in all these fish myself. I'm going to try to lead these people. If you want to rely on the arm of the flesh, you will fail. If you want to rely upon the healing and the forgiveness of God, the comforter of God, well, that's when you'll actually prevail. So he says that he was grieved. And then, this is the other aspect of Peter being grieved. How often do you feel like he can't take care of this area of my life, but it's actually that area of your life that Jesus is even pursuing you. That area of your life where you have all that pain and hurt that you've been experiencing for 5, 10, 15 years that you feel like nobody else can touch? Well, it is the very reason why he went to the cross. It is the very reason why he said, it is finished. He bled. He had the thorns pushed 
into his head. He was made, as Kyle said, to be sin. You see that pain and hurt? Well, look at the cross. He was reviled. As others may look at you in your past or your sin and your shame from the past, you feel like you should be reviled. Well, look at Jesus on the cross. They reviled him. So that way you wouldn't be. So that way instead of reviling, you would hear beloved. That way instead of pain and the blows of blood, you would feel healing. That way you wouldn't be enslaved to those who hate you. As Psalm 106 says. It's because of his abundant, steadfast love that he is for you. So if you're grieved because all of a sudden you feel like he's encountering this area of my life that nobody's ever been able to deal with, well, he's the king of heaven and earth who is able to deal with it. Rely on him. Rely on him. Actually experience God. This is what I pray for you, is that in this moment you would actually experience God. Not just hear another sermon, but actually experience God and his healing in your life. If you want to hear another sermon, go to Sermon Audio. If you want to experience God, grievance that you feel should turn to joy because this means that Jesus is pursuing you. When you feel all that shame and you feel like there's no hope, remember who it is who pursues you. Remember who it is who you get to rely on, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Peter being grieved is a very big example for us because we act this way so often. We'll say one thing with our lips, but in our deeper emotion, that's what we're like. So yeah, I love, I love Jesus. But in your heart, you're grieved because it's coming up again. That thing that you've got to deal with, that you know you've got to deal with. Coming up again. But then you, the Christian cliche will come out. And yet again, there's only another year of pain. You would actually like to be free from that pain. Rely not on your arm of the flesh, but rely on the arm, the hand, the finger of God. The one who is pursuing you. The one who's bringing these things up into your face so that way 
he and you can grow deeper together. So Peter was grieved, and he replies with, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him that third time, Feed my sheep. Again. Service, or having a servant's heart, is how you experience the love of Christ. That's exactly how Christ showed his love. Now let me put this before you. Doing these things in the midst of your hurt. Peter was grieved and Jesus still told him to go feed and tend to his sheep. How are you going to actually experience the love of Christ which frees you from your hurt to serve others? What does it look like to serve others? What does it look like to feed others? What does it look like to shepherd another person? I don't know all the hurts that are in this room. I feel like if I did, it would be too much for me. There's only the shoulders of Jesus and Jesus himself praying for you that is actually enough to carry that load. But in serving another person, the very simplicity of beginning at praying for another person is selfless. Intercessory prayer, when you're interceding on somebody else's behalf, God, would you bring healing in their life? God, they have hurt, they have pain. God, they're torn up. God, they need a roof. Be faithful to your covenant. Most of the time when you see in the Old Testament people who are um, pillars of the faith, you see Moses, he's praying particular ways that is not like what we'll see in a moment. He's praying for the faithfulness of God and the faithful covenant, for the covenant faithfulness of God. So often we pray very, very contrary. Very interesting. Sometimes even our prayers can be self-serving. However, the thing is, keep your heart upon serving another. And why I said I feel like I couldn't handle it is I knew everybody in here's hurt and pain is because there's many days and many hours where I've cried over the hurt of particular people. That's called service. That's called tending, feeding. Because I actually believe that prayer accomplishes things. So we see that Jesus went through these three times saying, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Each time, Pebble, this weak man, Yes, Lord, 
you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I'm grieved. Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Shepherd them. Feed my sheep. And then we see this really odd turn in the story. What happens? It says, feed my sheep. Then verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you, you do not want to go. And the beloved apostle put in verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. This is the amazing part. You used to care for yourself before. You used to be thinking about yourself, dressing yourself, doing what you want to do. But now when you're older, when you're mature, when I'm the one that's caring after you, Peter, guess what you're going to do? You will live a life of sacrifice. Let me ask you this. Did Peter go to the cross for himself? Or did he go to the cross because he's proclaiming about the glory of God, about Jesus, to another, which then got him put on the cross. This is why we say, don't get persecuted for being stupid. Be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Suffer for righteousness' sake. This is what Peter wrote in his very own epistle, his very own letter. If one suffers for righteousness' sake, they're blessed. Well, what does it look like to suffer for righteousness' sake? To actually live selflessly and sacrificially. This is exactly what Peter did. So, Jesus is saying at the end of all of this, well, Peter, you used to be thinking about yourself. I love you more than all of these. If they want to fall away, let them. Whatever. But I'm going to still love you. You'll have me, only me. So crazy, prideful. But then he says, no, you're not going to have that only you mentality as when you were younger. You're going to have this mentality when you're older that so much so somebody else will actually dress you up for the cross. Somebody else will stretch out your arms and throw some nails in them. Why? Because you love my sheep. Because you shepherded my sheep. You fed my sheep. That's why they're going to do that. Because you love my beloved. Do you love Jesus' beloved like he loves his beloved? Are you willing to have that type of love that's going to bring about healing to the nations? That's going to bring about healing? Are you willing to get shot by a drug dealer? Are you willing to live with your wallet in a way that is sacrificial, that is going to hurt you, willing to get burnt. Mm -hmm. 
Every dollar that you feel like is in vain is not in vain. Every hour you spend with somebody is not in vain. I've received messages even recently from people that I've ministered to from way in the past that I felt like I just wasted my time after all that time. But Jesus blessed me with being able to see. No, you didn't. This person loves me, man. You, even though they didn't then, and then when you last saw them, they weren't loving me. They loved me. It wasn't in vain. You love to the degree where you yourself will get burnt, not ever knowing, or not ever... Look, I did not deserve those messages back to understand that I played a role in him loving Jesus. I, don't, I didn't deserve that. But for me to think it was vanity is to not love him. Because now... Jesus says, my beloved to this guy. And I looked up at him as um, vanity. Shame. Rather, what it should be is to look at each person as, no, until the day that they die, I will treat them as though Jesus is going to say to them, my beloved. Why? Is because not an hour is wasted. Not a dollar is in vain. And you will pursue them just like Jesus pursued you. Just like Jesus came after you to bring about healing, so will you come after them to bring about healing in their life. You will live in a way that could get you even killed. Because you love. So what does love look like? What is love? Selflessness. It's not self-feeding. It's self-giving. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Then verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is John, by the way. And then this very, again, it continually the membrane part is amazing. John would have been good enough to be able to stop there. He's continually referred to as the apostle whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So we would have known whom he was talking about if he didn't go any further in the description. But he went on, he says, the one who had been reclining at table close to him, who is Jesus, close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? It's very interesting that that even gets mentioned. I was asking God this afternoon, why are you even having this double identifier? We know who the disciple is that Jesus loved. Why are you bringing up this situation? Here's why I think this is happening. Most people think that in this moment Peter quickly flipped and started getting all crazy jealous. No, I think that Jesus he, or sorry, I think that Peter in this moment is actually beginning to live out, feed my sheep tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So this one he saw and then he goes and he says 
when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about this man? What I believe is happening is that Peter, with the right heart, is asking the wrong question. In being confronted with relying on the flesh, he hasn't quite understood reliance upon the one who is pursuing him. To ask what about this man is not a sign of jealousy. Rather, I see that it is a sign of care. I think that Peter is actually genuinely concerned about John. Well, if I'm going to die, what about him? What's going to happen to this one who you love so much? Do you have this mind in yourself regarding the other beloved... Because look, do you look around the room and you say, Matt the Beloved, Stephanie the Beloved, Heather, Kyle the Beloved, Tabby the Beloved. Do you look around the room and you look at Jesus' Beloved and you remember and you think through, this is Jesus' Beloved. How am I going to care about them or care for them? Now, why I say that I believe that he's asking the wrong question with the right heart is because of Jesus' answer. Do you want to rely on the arm of the flesh for love, or do you want to rely on the power of the Spirit for love? Yes, there are those in the world that love, but they don't love the true, genuine, selfless, sacrificial love. They love with a love that takes. So Jesus replies, he says, Jesus said to him in verse 22, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So, why did Jesus have the devil identify her? In that instance, in the upper room in John 13, when he leans over and he's talking about, Jesus is talking about uh, at first, that there's going to be one who's going to betray me. And then Peter goes to John, the beloved disciple, and says, hey, you're like super close to him. Ask him who it is. So then the apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, leans over and says, Who is it, Jesus? Well, there's two things that I think are going on here. One first, that now Jesus is saying, Look, you don't have to go through anybody else. You don't go through them. This is why we have the double identifier. You're not relying on another beloved because guess what, Peter? You're beloved. You're my beloved. You're the church. You're part of the church. You are my beloved. So you're not reliant upon having an experience with God by anybody else. You yourself experience God yourself. But then I also think there's this other aspect of it where Peter is continually thinking through and he's got this almost anxiety level of, you know, and he 
had asked him, well, who is it? Having John ask that, well, what is that showing? A reliance on the flesh. Stop, Peter, stop. I know you love John. I know you want to care for him, but this is not how. If it were up to me to make sure your hearts love Jesus, I would be weighed down with a weight way too heavy for me. But I must, as shepherd here, rely on the great shepherd to actually shepherd your heart. If it were reliant upon me, I could not bear it. So likewise, even for you, as you're all in one way or another, shepherding others around you close, closer to Christ, it is not reliant upon you. Do not rely on your own arm of the flesh or on your own self. Rely on Jesus, who is the pursuer. And you plead to him to be faithful to his covenant with as many as you encounter. God be faithful to your covenant and change this person's heart and mind. Open their eyes. Even if I have every single detail of their life, what about them? Give me the info about them. No, I still can't do enough good things for them to show them the love that Jesus actually has for them. My love for them can never come close. Look, there's a man that listens to our podcast. Got into a messaging chat with him a little bit. And his daughter um, is no longer home. She's cut all communication ties with him. How much that man was expressing that he wants his daughter back. He wants to be reconciled with his daughter. Well, any work or arm, reliance on the arm of the flesh that he would do, would be powerless without the pursuit of Christ. If he is reliant upon himself, and mind you, <laughs> this father who loves his daughter and he says, I want her in my home, I'm not as happy as I would be unless she was here. Those people that you encounter, whom eventually God calls and calls beloved, he's saying the same thing about them. I'm not happy until I have them in. Until the completeness of the number of the elect is full, that the earth is going to be groaning until they're all in. What Romans 8 says, the very earth that I created will cry out, saying, we are not happy until our father has that son, that daughter. My father is not happy until he has Heather, until he has Jeremy, until he has Bob. He's not happy. So he's not happy until he has Chase. He's not happy until he has all of these different people in this city that we get to encounter, that we get to love selflessly and sacrificially. He says, I have planted you here. I have put you here to sacrifice yourself in love. And I know that you, even in this moment, are in the midst of pain and hurt. I'm healing you too. 
I'm healing you by my pursuance and my love and my power. But go and do the same to somebody else. That way I can heal them too. You want true healing? Go and live sacrificially for somebody else in the midst of your hurt. If you wallow in your hurt, it'll only hurt. Let me say that again. If you wallow in your hurt, it's only going to hurt. But if you love in your hurt, not ignoring it, not ignoring it, do not hear me say, ignore your hurt. Ignore the pain, ignore the sin, ignore the healing. Don't, I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, in the midst of it, go and love and serve and help others. That is how Jesus will bring about healing in your life. That is how you will express your love to him. That is how the one who knows all things, who can sees you in that moment, knows all things. That means he sees the sin current and past. He knows even that Peter's heart was grieved in that moment. He's the one that's healing not you. He's the one that's healing those whom you're loving, not you. Rely on him for all of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. God, we ask that you would encounter us. God, that we would be selfless, that we would pursue you. God, that we would love you by loving others. God, give us your heart. God, bring healing to the city, bring healing into our own lives. God, all the pain, all the hurt and strife, God, that we have. God, being mistreated by others and us mistreating others. God, we feel so much shame. God, I pray that you would bring healing. God, I pray that you would bring revival. God, I pray that you would bring your resurrection power here. God, you have encountered us by your spirit here and now to bring comfort. God, I pray that it wouldn't end. God, I pray that you would change this entire building, city, state, and world with your healing. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.